Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today yet again by the man who had to be busy this past week because we actually got pertinent NFL news, none other than John Paulson. How's it going, Paulson? I'm doing I'm doing good. I got my Scott Full uh Scott Fishbowl t-shirt on, had the live draft on Saturday, which was a lot of fun. There was four different leagues drafting live over at Trophy Smack, uh, which has a great second floor. If anybody's interested in having a draft party there, it's probably the premier one in the area. It's in Orange, California, which is where I live. And uh it was a great time last year and it was a great time this year. And now I'm excited to talk some DeAndre Hopkins some potential holdouts. It's going to be a good uh, things are really ramping up, John. I got to sit down and chat with some 4 for 4 subs like Jeff Doyle, David Lynch, David Strack, a handful of others. Did you meet any 4 for 4 subscribers while you were there? Uh a few people in industry subscribe uh and uh, it was good actually the LA draft is full of uh maybe some of the bigger TV radio names and also had a few actors there people in the entertainment industry got to catch up with uh, uh, Tom Everett Scott who I met last year in person and uh, he's a great guy and a big uh, big fantasy player so uh, good to see everybody there all right well while you big time the rest of us also joining us on today's show because his offensive line rankings kicked off our early bird special for everyone at the site right now, $25 off any sub at 444.com. It is none other than the great Justin Edwards. Justin, glad to have you on the show. Hey, glad to be here. Talking about two favorite Johns. I get to talk to you more often than Paulson, given that we sometimes get together to play poker in Ohio, but those are stories for another day, hopefully never. <laughs> Paulson, like we usually have been doing and opening every show as we get closer to the regular season, with the risers and fallers of underdog. We actually did get some news over the weekend about Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs holdouts after they did not come to terms with a long-term deal with their organizations. So let's start with Barkley. And I'm curious how you have jostled the projections behind the scenes for these two players over the weekend. Uh, yeah. So I'll start with Jacobs because uh, I did see a, um, an interesting tweet from Adam Levitan, and I'm trying to locate it, but if you look at my feed, you might be able and to And while you're looking, live. Jacobs has slid just one spot He over the past seven days, 28 to around 30 overall. I expect him to slide probably out of the third round, but your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so Adam uh, basically tweeted that uh, he wasn't sure how far either one of these players would take their holdout, but he... Uh, he said that I'd probably assign higher odds that Jake Jacobs pushes it further. And Sam Sherman chimed in and said, Josh Jacob liked this tweet. I checked and Josh Jacob Jacobs indeed liked Adam's <laughs> tweet. So we're really getting into the weeds here in terms Ooh. of trying to, this is a very difficult thing to sort of project. Like, you know, in my position there, neither one of them have signed their, uh, one-year tender or whatever the, the, the franchise tag. So neither one are under contract at the moment. Uh, they're both pissed off, uh, I think to varying degrees, uh, but they both seem very irritated with the team. Barkley uh, irritated about the uh, leaks that made him sound greedy, I think is the the vibe there. Jacob's just generally annoyed, uh, I think, by the, the state of the running back compensation. Uh, so... It does seem like he's more likely, Jacobs is more likely to take this into the season. Uh, the, the New York media seems to think that Barkley will be out there week one, even if he skips all of camp. There's a little bit of danger there. You know, how, what kind of shape are they in? Are they in football shape? Are they going to be able to get through the first month of the season without pulling a hamstring or getting dinged up? Uh, so right now, I didn't really adjust Barkley too much until I hear some more negative news there. I did move Jacobs down because I do think there's a chance that he holds out one or two weeks into the season, maybe longer. I, I'm waiting for the explainer article in terms of what is the upside of holding out for half the season. I don't know if this whole contract toll thing that I remember from the Levon uh, Le'Veon Bell uh, situation still exists. You know, does it does it benefit them to sit out half the season, get through the year, and then get tagged again, or you know, all that? So uh, I haven't seen that article come across my desk yet, but I'm kind of waiting for somebody who's smarter than me to figure that all out in terms of what are the options for these guys? 
if they if they don't if they sit out September and October, they're just leaving money on the table, and this is ten million or it'd be five million in that case if they sat out half the season that they can't get back uh, as they try to recoup this uh, you know lost money in free agency next year or the year after that because they can be tagged again, which I don't think is really fair. But that's not that's a that's a cop topic for another day. Uh, from a ranking standpoint, I'm less likely to take Jacob Jacobs uh, where I was or what I was thinking about taking him where he was ranked. I thought he'd have a pretty good season. I know you have a, has a big fade, John, uh, due to the to the you know injury risk and coming off all those touches. I think Barkley's still fairly safe, but maybe you you know you're getting into where maybe you're thinking about Brees Hall over him, but probably not yet because Brees Hall is coming off that ACL. Uh, he, you know, I think Barkley's going to slip into the late second round. I wouldn't be surprised if Jacobs is, is going in the third round before too long. It's annoying for me because Barkley was a fade anyhow at his ranking, given that we certainly don't expect his team high in targets, his 14.5% share of team targets to carry over into this year, given that they added so much in the passing game in terms of wide receivers and Darren Waller. So he was always a player that I thought was ranked too high anyways, and that's why I had Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, among others, ahead of him. At the same time, though, yes, if we are now getting a discount, Barkley's the one I expect to show up, as you mentioned in week one, given that two weeks ago, as early as then, he even said that if he has to go out there and prove himself again on a one-year deal, he would. So I'm not worried about Barkley holding out whatsoever. Jacob seems to be the one that's willing to fall on the sword for the entire position in the NFL. He's the one who wants to take this to next year and try to stick it to the NFLPA. Uh, we don't have time to get into what capitalism is and how business works, <laughs> but Jacob seems to be the one that wants to just eat it for everyone, and I applaud him for that, even though I am definitely fading him in fantasy football for historical reasons. Justin, you're – oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add, like, we have we have a, a historical precedent for this with Le'Veon Bell, and I, I pulled up his uh, career stats – yesterday just to look at this and it is really dire like the year before he held out 20 his age 25 season he had 1291 yards 321 carries nine touchdowns 85 catches 655 yards two touchdowns sat out the entire 2018 season signed a big contract correct me if i'm wrong if my memory is getting a little fuzzy these days 2019 signs with the jets 27 age 27 he has he averages 3.2 yards per attempt he ends up with 66 catches for 461 yards. And then the, I believe he gets cut. And the following season, he's just barely hanging on in, in the league. So I don't, you know, he ends up signing this big contract with the Jets, but I don't think he saw a lot of that money. I don't know what Jacobs is hoping to do here. You know, his best bet is probably to take the back to back tags if he can't get a, a long term deal and just, you know, at least get that money uh, each year. So my thoughts, Justin, are yes, I will buy a dip on Barkley. I am still fading Josh Jacobs, but where are you at with these two players? Yeah, I'm I'm not huge on Jacobs to begin with. Um, and I'm also kind of worried about that. We haven't heard anything about Garoppolo in a couple of weeks, and there, there's still all that. The clause in his contract where they can just cut him for free is kind of terrifying. And if Jacobs does sit out, like what is that Raiders offense? going to look like it's going to be Devonte adams with brian hoyer or whatever and i'm not the biggest fan of renfro's game and i don't the raiders are kind of feeling like a full fade altogether after adams depending on where you can get him and then yeah buying a dip on barkley i think would be great he looked fantastic last year after um that first year off the acl he didn't look that great at all in 21 and then 22 he came back and looked fantastic if you can get a dip on him and get him in you know, if he's going to fall into the late second or third round, I think he's interesting there. Or very interesting. The other big news that happened mid-live Scott Fishbowl drafts on Sunday was DeAndre Hopkins inking a two-year deal with the Tennessee Titans. We don't have the official numbers just yet, so we don't know if it's a front-loaded one-year deal that the team can easily opt out of in year two. But what we do know, though, Paulson, is that Two years ago, in 2021, Hopkins' 19.9% target share, the first time in the last four years that he was under 25.5%, especially considering that just last year with the Cardinals, a 26.7% target share, the highest of the last four years. We know that that 2021 mark was a blip on the radar, an anomaly, but he will be 31 
and he will still be competing for targets in a run-heavy offense. So what did you do with the projections for DeAndre Hopkins and the Titans' passing game? Uh, yeah, this was uh, – I was kind of waiting for the shoot to drop because this was an interesting one where he was going to land and, you know, sort of – you know, it was an annoying one if you tank. were overweight on Traylon Burks. I will say that. <laughs> yes, or, yes, it was. Or the or or Chig uh, Conquo. Uh, you know, I the other thing I wanted to mention just on the Las Vegas Raiders is that they let Jared Stidham go, and he looked pretty good last couple games of last year. They could have kept him around and and not be in a situation where they desperately need Grapple. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, they don't make a lot of great decisions. DeAndre Hopkins, uh, wide receiver, twenty-seven right now on half PPR. I think from a like this is there's there's better places he could have landed. Obviously, Kansas City would have been like ideal. Uh, you know, Buffalo would have been pretty good, um, but he's going to be the the alpha. I think uh, you know even even last year, ten point seven targets per game. He was averaging eighty yards per game for the for the Cardinals, and it was kind of a lost season. Um, he was the fantasy wide receiver nine from week seven to week 16. So I did see a report that, you know, some NFL exec uh, anonymously said that he couldn't separate anymore, couldn't get open, but he fared pretty well in the uh, advanced metrics that I looked at. Uh, the 538 ESPN open score was pretty good. You know, he's not the player maybe he was in his mid-20s, but he could still really help a passing attack. And I think he's he's make, he's makes this Tennessee – uh, passing offense at least look respectable now uh, compared to where they were sort of headed. Um, you know, I think he's, you need to worry a little bit about injury with him. I think right now he's a low end wide receiver too. There's some other interesting guys in that same range. You might take him over if you believe in him. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is actually a pretty good quarterback efficiency wise. Uh, and now that he has somebody to throw to again, that's great. Uh, I did see the comparison that, you know, why isn't Hopkins going to be the next Julio? Uh, and I think the big difference there is that he's a couple years younger, at least one year younger, and he's joining the Titans as the number one receiver, whereas Julio joined the Titans as the second fiddle to AJ Brown, who's obviously at that point was emerging into a alpha. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. I, you know, I would consider him at, you know, where I think his ADP started going. Uh, he went a little bit early, I thought in my Scott Fishbowl draft, but, uh, you could justify it if you think that he's still gonna, you know, garner nine targets a game. I think he leads the team in targets, but for best ball, when we're drafting a lot of teams, I also want to continue reminding myself that he's still 31 and there's no guarantee in that, that Traylon Burks could perhaps lead the team in targets, especially because we don't know who's going to play the slot. Uh, Hopkins did play a career high 36% slot rate with Tim Kelly in 2019 with the Texans. Tim Kelly, of course, who is now his OC in Tennessee. But Burks, for his career at Arkansas, ran 77% of his routes from the slot. So maybe they just put him there. Or in three wide sets, it's likely Kyle Phillips anyways who led the team in slot routes last year when he was healthy. So I still want to take my chances on a dipping trail on Burks, just understanding the range of outcomes that could happen with that passing offense. Also, what are you doing with Ryan Tannehill? Because I would imagine this makes Tannehill a more viable QB2 for Superflex Leagues. Yeah, I bumped up his touchdowns. I bumped up his yards per attempt a little bit. I think this does help the offense as a whole. I think it also helps Derrick Henry. It, it does. I think one of the concerns that we had about Derrick Henry is that he, you know, might get shelved or that this might be a lost season because the the Titans are going to be bad and they're just going to get into a situation where they might trade him or they might just he might just sit out whatever at the end of the season. But they're they're looking like they want to win. I mean, this is a move that a team that thinks that they can win their division would make and uh, I think that helps at least the overall mindset with the with the Titans offense. Tannehill's presence is the one opinion I've now backed off on from this signing because initially I just figured he would be bitched because they have that early week seven bye and before the bye their schedule is they go to New Orleans they travel to LA to play the Chargers at Cleveland get Joe Burrow and the Bengals then get what is the softest game in this slate at Indianapolis, and then, of course, playing Baltimore. So to me, that's a one-in-five schedule, and thus you could then transition to Will Levis. But this kind of signing tells me that they think they can compete. Thus, I want to back off Tannehill, perhaps being benched during that Week 7 bye and opening the door to Will Levis. Also, for Chickaconquo, that's something I still want to be in on in drafts because, to me, 
it was never about the target share. Like the target share would have gotten him to low end tight end one range, but we always forget how bad and how much tight ends don't matter beyond the top eight, top 10. If Chico Conk was on the field, that's the question we're still asking. That is still a player we want to draft after he was 38th, just 38th in route rate among all tight ends last year, but still led his position with 2.6 yards per route run. So if he is on the field and that question is not one that DeAndre Hopkins present answers. We still have to ask ourselves, is he on the field whenever there are two wide receivers on the field? I will still gladly draft a Conquo and hope his explosiveness and efficiency gets by. Justin, I also know when looking at your offensive line rankings on the site, you are very low on the players in front of Ryan Tannehill as they are your 31st overall ranked units. So get into perhaps your concern about the Titans offense and their pass protection. Right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the, the move in general clearly raises the floor of Ryan Tannehill, but I think the ceiling is pretty, it's still very low. Um, I think it would be a good thing for the entire offense if Traylon Burks operates out of the slot and DeAndre is just the X receiver. I think that would help Tannehill. It certainly doesn't help Traylon Burks if Hopkins plays the whole season, but the big the elephant in the room here is that this offensive line is really bad. Um, it wasn't good last year. They didn't do a lot of up front. They added Peter Skaronsky in the first round, so that's a big help. Um, they added Andre Dillard, who's probably going to be starting for them now, from the Eagles, who's a former first-round pick of memory serves, but he has not been good. He has not earned any playing time in the, what is this, his fourth year? Maybe it's his fifth year heading into this year. Um, so, yeah, I'm really worried. On top of just having a bad unit in general. Um, their right tackle, Nicholas petit Frere is suspended for at least six games. Or no, I think it's six games for, um, oh, I don't remember what. But he's out for the first six games, so they're going to have to scramble to figure out what they're going to do there. Um, right now, it looks like they have a sixth-round rookie who might be slated as the starting right tackle for week one, which is not a good sign. Those people don't usually hit, and if they do, it's usually not in week one. So I think there's going to be a lot of issues, especially in pass protection. Um, we all know Derrick Henry can run through a wall if needed. But, yeah, I just don't see a, a big ceiling outcome for the Titans this year in general from almost anyone outside of Derrick Henry. Chig could be a top 10 guy, but like you said, we get so wrapped up on in the guys who aren't top 10 that we forget that they're really bad throughout the season <laughs> and they're miserable to have on your team. But watch the, the waiver wire article every week. That'll, that'll help us out. Starting a right tackle, Petit Ferrer, to your point, suspended for six games for gambling. Gambling, uh, Because okay. that's that's what's happening to every player nowadays. Right. Paulson, we have someone in the chat, Mr. Scampers, who apparently was at SFB Live with you as well, asking about and trying to understand the Titans' offensive line. Did Tannehill now, with these projections, jump ahead of C.J. Stroud, Sam Howell, and Desmond Ritter? I remember hearing Mr. Scamper's name. I think Andrew Fleischer was in his draft uh, and he was talking about Mr. Scamper's. Uh, so hello, Mr. Scamper's. Um, yeah, I would like, you know, looking at this, I did some quick and dirty rankings of my own, just looking at uh, football outsiders, adjusted line yards and adjusted sack rate. And then I pulled in the uh, PFF uh, pass blocking efficiency ratings to kind of uh, average the pass blocking and run blocking and then average those two to come up with some rankings and Tennessee comes in at 27. They're decent uh, in the run. They're 18th in adjusted line yards uh, at over at football outsiders, uh, but really bad against uh, in the pass blocking. So, uh, you know, I, I wonder if they're going to have to get the ball quickly and who does that favor? That probably favors Hopkins. It probably favors Chig Okonkwo. I'm not sure what uh, Traylon Burks's uh, average depth of target was last year, but anything, any downfield stuff is probably going to be tough against a good pass rush. Uh, moving him ahead. Of, I'm not moving ahead of Howell. Uh, so I don't know who the other guys were. I think, yeah, you know, Stroud, Ritter, I think that's reasonable. I have uh, right now Tannehill ahead of those guys. Um, but, you know, I'm pretty high on Howell. QB 19 has all those rushing yards uh, and a good uh, receiving core there in, in Washington. Well, let's get into that because Washington is also very low in Justin's rankings, 28th overall. They are projected by quite a few people to be a breakout offense with Eric Bieniemy now calling plays. But your concerns about those protecting for Sam Howell in Washington's offense, Justin? Um, a lot, a lot of issues up the in the interior. Um, we saw the 
retirement of Chase Rouillet, but he didn't look that great last year anyways. Um, their other center, Tyler Larson, is expected to open training camp, so next week on the pup list. So they have issues at center. The guards aren't incredible either. Um, they lost Trey Turner, but he was kind of getting up there on the age as well. They added Andrew Wiley from the Chiefs. That should help shore up a little bit. But, yeah, Andrew Norwell is also on the pup list. There's just a lot of question marks in the interior. Um, I don't know how Sam Howell reacts to interior pressure, but I'm assuming like every other quarterback in the league, it's probably not too great. So we'll see there. They do have all the offensive pieces, so it's hard to hit on them too much, but they do have some issues that they need to shore up throughout the season or they're going to have some issues. They have such a great pass rush on the other side of the ball. It's kind of it's hard to be mean to their trenches, but the offensive line's not looking too great right now. Like we discussed ahead of week 18 last year, for all the sickos who didn't yell at their commissioner for taking their league into the final meaningless week of the season, that I still believe in Sam Howe because he quietly has the pedigree. Howe in 2021, whenever he was considered, or 2020, whenever he was deemed the first or second overall pick in the NFL draft at that time, had a 68% completion rate and averaged 10.2 yards per attempt. And then the next year, is when he was then taken out of the first round the first two days altogether because scouts saw his stats with a 61.5% completion rate and just 8.7 yards per attempt. But you got to remember that final year in college, he lost Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Dami Brown, Daz Newsom, and three starting NFL offensive linemen, but still shined on third downs, a stat that carries over. It's sticky and transitions from the collegiate level with a 70% completion rate and 8-0 touchdown interception ratio on those money downs. So how's a player I'm believing in? But, Paulson, I still want to remain aware that they gave Jacoby Brissett $8.5 million, and it seems like it's going to be a short leash for Hal, even if he is the week one starter. But I know you're bullish on Hal. Yes, I... Just a comment on the offensive line. They they came in, I think, 27th, 29th in my combined rankings, my quick and dirty rankings. Perfect. Uh, but they did spend the third most in free agency net. Uh, we did mention, uh, or uh, Justin mentioned uh, Andrew Wiley, Nick Gates, a guard, uh, decent uh, as well. And they also did add third round center in the draft, uh, Stromberg, Ricky Stromberg. And centers can, uh, I think it was Chris Raybon who did a study that, a good center will, I don't know if Ricky Stromberg's a good center. I don't go that deep in this, but a good center can really turn an offensive line around if, if he plays above uh, his head or at least does, does pretty well. So that's, they're underrated. They're underpaid. I think the centers. Uh, so this might be, you know, with the money spent that might get them back into maybe mediocre if they can, you know, if they, if they can gel, uh, they got three, it looks like they got three new faces there that can help. Uh, as for how, you know, the rushing yards, I think you're going to be there. 35 uh, yards per game is what I'm expecting uh, per my uh, rookie quarterback model, which is the best thing that the rookie quarterback model does. The most accurate thing is predict rushing yards. Uh, so that's the one thing I'm, I can kind of hang my hat on. Otherwise, it's just a starting point for me for completion percentage, yards per attempt, et cetera. So I do, I do think that the rushing yards will be there. Uh, we saw in his only start against uh, the Cowboys, I think he rushed for right around 35 yards and a touchdown. He had another touchdown. He threw a, a bad pick, but apparently, uh, I believe it was Ron Rivera said that he came off and was uh, immediately trying to figure out what he did wrong and the mistake he made and trying to improve it. That's a good sign. Uh, he's got a great receiving core. Terry McLaurin is underrated. Uh, Jahan Dotson was in and out of the lineup last year, but when he was in there, he was very productive. Curtis Samuel got off to a really good start. These are three really good route runners per uh, reception perception. Uh, they're decent at tight end with Logan Thomas and some other other guys there. So, you know, I think in two quarterback leagues, Howell is the best value on the board amongst those guys that are going mid-20s. Uh, and you're probably going to get mid-range QB2 numbers or better as long as he's starting. And you can easily, if you have enough roster spaces, you can easily pick up a set if you want coverage on that. I think another good idea is to maybe combine, uh, if you want to do QB2 by committee and maybe grab Kyler Murray and Sam Howell. Those two combine very well because Murray probably will be starting by the time that Howell gets benched if he gets benched. But I wouldn't worry about it. I think they're going to let him play and see what they got in him. And if they lose, they lose. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's a really good quarterback coming out next year that you know they wouldn't mind having a shot at. And 
as TJ Hernandez recently pointed out in one of his correlation articles on the site, rushing attempts and rushing yards per game are the stickiest year-to-year stats, not only for fantasy football, but as you mentioned, in your model as well. So it's something we should certainly pay attention to as it pertains to Sam Howell and late-round quarterback values. Any thoughts, though, Justin, on the offensive line's run blocking and the running backs here? Because, yes, whenever J.D. McKissick went down with that season-ending injury, Antonio Gibson did out-snap Brian Robinson 81-25 to on third and fourth down as the team's receiving back. But Robinson still averaged over 18 carries per game. And given that Gibson, it's not going to be this case in redraft leagues. Gibson, Robinson will go ahead of Gibson in your home leagues. But on best ball right now, Gibson is going ahead of Robinson. And that's not a bet I want to make. I would rather take Robinson now that he's no longer the dead zone RB and he's the one sliding despite last year's evidence of touches. So, yeah, I mean, Brian Robinson looked great last year once he got onto the field. What a remarkable season he had, you know, just getting on the field in the first place. Um, yeah, all the – I'm scrolling because I can't remember his name. Uh, who's the guy they took? Uh, Chris they take, Rodriguez. Right. All, all of that hype has completely they, fallen off the radar. <laughs> who they said they had a third-round grade on right, despite taking them in the end of day three, but whatever. Right, right, as, as they always say. Yeah, all that hype has gone – away so it looks like it's a two-headed backfield unless something happens um yeah gibson's been given his chances and they we've heard all the coach speak and we've heard him be talked up and down and all around but he's also been logging so many special team snaps and that's not something you want to see out of your rb3 or your eighth round pick so we'll see if he's honestly back on the field and has an opportunity at a three down roll or if he's just rotating in on third downs with Robinson turning into a, a sort of a workhorse back. Um, the offensive line, as we talked about, isn't isn't fantastic, but there is a chance that we we get these guys to gel together. And if Sam Howell comes out looking well and this offensive line gels by the middle of the season, we might have a, a nice rushing attack too with the defenses having to pay attention to these prolific pass catchers on the outside. How did you sort through the running backs in your projections, Paulson? Well, you know, J.D. McKissick's gone. I think that helps uh, Gibson quite a bit. I'm just looking at their season stats. Uh, Gibson averaged 9.5 half PPR points per game. Brian Robinson averaged 9. After McKissick went down, uh, Robinson was at 10.3. Gibson was at 7.5. So Robinson's workload, I think, increased as the season went on. Uh, Yeah, he started seeing lots and lots of carries. Uh, you know, 3.9 yards per attempt. You know, I, I might have to look at this projection because I think I have Gibson slightly ahead of Robinson and half PPR. He probably should be ahead of him. You know, he might probably should be ahead of him in PPR, but I don't know about half PPR at this point, given this uh, overwhelming workload that uh, Robinson saw towards the end of the season. I mean, he finished uh, the year with 18-plus uh, carries in four of his last five games. And when you're getting that, you know, I am always preach about uh following the touches he's, he's a non-factor in the passing game pretty much 0.75 receptions per game so that worries me a little bit but uh they do seem to like him running the ball a lot more than than gibson at the think- at the goal line as well sorry i was trying to look at this stat he he almost ended up matching gibson's uh touches from inside the opponent's 10 yard line despite missing all that time which is interesting so he might have a more of a full goal line role this year which would be Nice if they have a good offense. I mean, he scored, he rushed for two touchdowns. So, right. This offense needs to pick it up. (laughs) One of the other lower ranked offensive line, Justin, among offenses, people are expecting to increase their output and elevate this year is Jacksonville Jaguars. That stood out to me. You currently have the Jaguars ranked as your 27th overall unit. So go ahead and delve into that. Absolutely. And this is one of those situations that's a little difficult because I know for sure. Well, I don't know. I'm pretty certain that this is not going to be the case in a month or two into the season. But I kind of had question marks about their um, their tackles to begin with. And then another suspension came down. Uh, Cam Robinson's out for the first four weeks. 
which I think is a huge deal. They already lost Juwan Taylor to the Chiefs, so I wasn't stoked on their tackles. They were probably sitting um, – they probably would have been around my 20th-ranked unit or something like that before the suspension. Now they dropped down because I think a lot of the success of the offense depends on Cam Robinson – or sorry, the success of the offensive line at least depends on Cam Robinson. Mm -hmm. So they do fall down here. Um, I expect them to climb back up as soon as he gets back, but these are kind of rankings – for people that were drafting to start week one, you know, so I was, I guess, a, a little bit mean about it, but um, I think they could bounce back and they do have a, such an impressive offense, too. Um, Trevor Lawrence showed that he was worth all the hype coming into the league and he was just thrown into a terrible situation in his rookie season. So I think they have a chance here. They did take a guy in the first round, Anton Harrison, um, so he should be able to fill in, but he was, I think he was going to fill in for Jawan Taylor, who they lost in free agency already. So it's just kind of a whirlwind uh, with their two tackles right now. So I'm a little worried about how they start the season, but I'm sure they'll bounce, bounce back through once they get their guys in order. And Walker Little, as you said, Jawan Taylor's replacement, or Cam Robinson's replacement, or yes, Jawan Taylor's replacement, only played 20 career snaps at right tackle. He was previously a, a honed-in left tackle, so right. certainly concerning. Also in terms of, they're over under because this is something I've been thinking about too, that maybe Trevor Lawrence's elevation, his development just cancels the gates at all, but they lost in football outsiders, adjusted games, lost to injury. They were the second luckiest team, basically healthy all year long. And again, we're already seeing that be a suspension, but what happens when the injuries start rolling in also played the number three easiest schedule last year in hindsight, when they have Warren Sharp's, 10th toughest schedule of opposing defenses this year. So it seems like if there's one division winner that could fall out, especially because they get a first place schedule against the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, and Ravens this year, it wouldn't be shocking if someone else that we're not counting on like leapt up and won this division instead of the Jaguars. But Paulson, how do you foresee this passing game playing out since people are still honing in on Calvin Ridley as a top 20 receiver over Christian Kirk? Yeah, I just want to confirm with Justin that he's worried about the two tackles, but they did one got suspended, one got signed in free agency. Is that correct? And then they they did re replace one of them with the first round draft pick. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned Harrison because that's usually a starter right away, right? Right, and then, and then Walker Little, as as Daigle was saying, he he's expected to take one of the other spots. I don't think it's set in stone which one's playing where yet, but. They, this group and my quick and dirty rankings came in uh, 17th, but it's a big di uh, big difference between their pass blocking and their run blocking, according to the stats. Right. <laughs> uh, football outsiders are like 29th in adjusted li line yards. So uh, another reason to maybe fade uh, Travis Etienne, which I, I just think he's being overdrafted given his, you know, we think of him as a pass catcher and they don't throw it to him uh, and they don't run block well. And they drafted what was it, Tank Bigsby uh, as well. They also brought in, brought in Dearness Johnson. They they want to take the load off of him a little bit. So I'm just kind of worried about this third round ETN, second round ETN stuff. I see uh, this unit was really good pass blocking last year. So and that's what led to uh, Tr Trevor Lawrence having a great season and Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram. So they have to sort that out. I'm sure we'll be watching in the preseason reports on uh, Harrison, how he's doing and the other, whoever the other tackle is there uh, filling in uh, as long as the suspensions, you know, occurring there. Where do you have those receivers ranked now? Uh, I am, you know, this whole thing with Calvin Ridley is throwing me for a loop because I love Calvin. <laughs> I'm really having a tough time. Like I love Calvin, Calvin Ridley and if Calvin Ridley, you know, it was just, you know, played last year. It was a top 15 receiver. I would have him ranked very high. I still have him ranked pretty high. I have him at 19. Uh, Christian Kirk at 25 and half. This is all half PPR. I have Zay Jones. Zay Jones to me is the one that really gets hurt by Ridley's uh, arrival since they're both going to play outside. Kirk's going to play in the slot. I don't think that Kurt's, Kirk's uh, targets are untouchable, but I think they're a little more, uh, you know, have a little bit more armor around them than Zay Jones does because if, you know, there's, Zay Jones and, and and Ridley, you know, playing outside Kirk in the slot, I think that changes the dynamic a little bit uh, in terms of who's going to lose their snaps or lose their targets. But there was 81 targets, as you know, John, from doing the vacated targets, uh, Marvin Jones. So that like, okay, so there's 80, there's 80 right there for Ridley. 
probably need to get him another 40 or 50. Where do those come from? A lot of them, I think, come from Jones. Maybe 10 come from, from Kirk. That's why he's ranked a little bit lower than where he finished. He was a nice high-end wide receiver two last year after everybody was laughing at his uh, contract. And then obviously Evan Ingram may not have quite the season he had last year if he you know sees a few less targets. But there's not room for Travis Etienne to see a big jump in passing, uh, you know, given this receiving core. Calvin Ridley also just two seasons removed, the suspension included from leading the league in targets 20 yards downfield. So I think that's where he really helps out this offense is popping over the top. Even so, Zay Jones is the one, not for redraft leagues. He's going to be an impossible start sit and just give you a headache weekly. But in best ball, considering he just had four top eight finishes last year, he showed that proven ceiling with Trevor Lawrence, thus falling to the 12th to 15th round, in particular on DraftKings, I think that's where I get him the most. And Zay Jones will be one of my highest rostered wide receivers for that reason, for that unpredictable ceiling in best ball. We talked about three offensive lines now that people should just keep in mind, perhaps be worried about, since those are three offenses that are being touted this offseason. I want to get into three sneaky ones on the higher end, beginning with the Falcons, who you, Justin, have the ninth-ranked overall unit. Yeah, I think they're just fantastic. They're fun to watch. Um, they really built a good well, – they started building this group before Arthur Smith even got there, but what he's getting out of them with the scheme is just really impressive, particularly in, in the run game. And they know it's a strength, so they keep doing it, whether we want them to or not. Whether we want to make Drake London or Kyle Pitts a thing or not, they're just going to keep running the ball. Um, they added more to it. They lost some guys, but no one that was really getting significant play time. Um, they also uh, didn't didn't catch the injury bug last year, which is nice. Let's hope for more of that. They added uh, Matthew Bergeron in the second round for some more for some more depth um, as it pertains to those rushing stats they led the league with 5.3 yards per attempt in zone running and i think the second place team may have been at like 4.7 or something so they're getting half a yard on the entire league every time they run out of the zone um very impressive it's fun to watch it's kind of sucks for fantasy but it could be incredible if we can get tyler algier off the field um i'm a little worried i don't know worried in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about how well Tyler Algier looked last year, and I think about that every time I draft B. John Robinson. I still keep drafting him anyways, but I'm thinking about how he could get his workload eaten into probably more than we're giving Algier credit for. And Cordell Patterson's still there too, which is also kind of sad. <laughs> he, he could also be eating into those snaps, maybe. He's like 40 years old now. I don't even know, but he might get the ball too after his – 12th year breakout or whatever that was a couple years ago. I don't know. The Falcons are fun to watch. Um, they should have an incredible rushing attack, and hopefully they just run the ball 40 times a game so we can get the most out of Bijan. Falcons, of course, average the fourth most yards per carry as a team despite facing the highest rate of eight-man boxes. Defenses knew what they were going to do, but Arthur Smith, as annoying as he is for the passing game in fantasy, is such an intuitive play caller that they still got the job done as an elite rushing offense. How do you have these running backs shaking out, Paulson, in your projections? Uh, yeah, so the the Falcons did throw the ball about five times more per game uh, once Desmond Ritter took over uh, as quarterback. So they, they did sort of approach some sort of reasonable level of, of passing. I think it was like 28.8 with Ritter uh, at quarterback. So, you know... I think Justin's speaking from a ownership level or rostered level of Bijan Robinson having his roster level very high and wants Bijan to to get all the carries. I'm sure there's lots of people out there that are looking for Drake London and uh, Kyle Pitts to uh, break out or continue to break out. You know, I had my quick and dirty rankings on these guys. Uh, this unit was uh, eight. So the funny thing is about it is that uh, you know very very high in the the running back uh, the adjusted line yards, but. The big, big difference between the ranking of passing, uh, pass blocking over at uh, PFF, they were fourth in pass blocking efficiency, but football outsiders had them 27th. So it's just sometimes interesting to see these advanced stats be so different. Usually they're within a few rankings here and there, but this is a, the, probably the biggest spread that I've seen. That's a big um, one, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't know, maybe it's the low volume. I, I don't know how you can explain that, but... Uh, 
as far as this offense is concerned, I haven't uh, drafted any pits. I think he's still going a little too high given the way that Arthur Smith has used him or did use him last year. Uh, Drake London, obviously a uh, talented player. His, his ADP is fine for me. Um, but, you know, Bijan, I think is fine. He's going second or third overall. I think that's reasonable. I think he's, I wouldn't worry too much about Algier. These these rookies that go this early, rookie running backs that go that early in the first round tend to get really fed. And yes, maybe he's joining a team that has a better incumbent running back than typical running backs drafted that early. But uh, he's, I mean, he's from everybody's uh, estimation, he's uh, the next Barkley. So I would expect him to see a lot of work. The Falcons 52% run play rate and neutral gain script, not only the highest of any offense last year, but the highest of the last decade, which is why I naturally want to believe that regression is coming because they quite literally can't run the ball more, even if they want to. Right. This this schedule is so soft, too, given that they're in arguably the league's worst division, that Desmond Ritter, initially I thought there was a chance he'd be benched, but honestly, I don't foresee that happening because this is a 10 or 11 win team. And not by their talent, but basically just by their schedule. And so I do want to believe in Desmond Ritter as a QB2 for Superflex Leagues and in best ball. So that's why I'm trying to bet on the passing game. How do you have Drake London and Kyle Pitts in your rankings if we're assuming they're going to pass the ball even slightly more? Well, I have London at 30. I don't know where that's at relative to ADP. Uh, it looks like he's... It's slightly behind, but I mean, all those guys are the same. They're yeah. on the same tier. Terry McClure and well, Drake he, London, you, you he, can't well, separate them. ADP's got him going 22. So that that's aggressive to me with Pitts. You know, he did a lot of his damage with Pitts' sideline with Pitts coming back. Uh, Pitts at 5 uh, ADP, and I have him at uh, 7 behind Waller and Goddard. Uh, but if you give me a minute, I'd like to pull up the, uh, the, you know, the pass, uh, split over exp uh, expected for the last four weeks, just to see if there's anything. So let me get back to you on that. Okay. Well, Justin, have you parsed through Drake London and Kyle Pitts in your drafting so far? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll mess with Pitts just from a portfolio perspective on you know if i'm i'm doing just as many underdog drafts as everyone else is so i'll put him in there when i when i feel the necessity to do it but yeah i mean i really like i'm i'm glad to see that paulson's up here too i really like waller this year and he's going maybe not an underdog looks like he's going seven but some on our multi-site adp he's going as like the tight end 10 or something which seems ludicrous it's like people forgot he was still in the league or something but yeah, uh, and then Drake London, I really, I think I'm probably pretty far below consensus on Drake London. I don't know that I'd have more than, if I looked up my exposure, it's probably in the 5% range or something. I've probably only drafted him a few times on the on the whole offseason, honestly. I like the talent. I'm just, yeah, I'm just a little concerned how, how his um, target share is going to end up. Well, not his target share, but his raw targets. You might have a high target share, but that might be seven targets a game or something. I'm not too stoked on that. Yeah, the the issue for me is that, you know, everyone goes on social media and they cite Kyle Pitts, routes run, this target share. I may be canceling what Paulson's about to say here. His air yards, but it's also useless. Like, Pitts has to be used differently. That's it. That's the only stat we should be citing. It's not even a stat. Do you think Pitts will be used differently? Because last year, Again, like Darren Waller, who also failed, Pitts only received deep targets. He had the second highest depth of target, only behind Waller, of any tight in the league. But his targets from zero to nine yards within the line of scrimmage, the gimmies, the free PPR points, he was actually 41st in those types of targets. Take into account like Travis Kelsey, who still saw 90 targets of his 150 within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. You got to have the, the layups. You can't just get the deep shots because they don't matter if they're not consistently successful. So really what we're asking is, is he used differently? Because if he used the same, we are once again overdrafting Kyle Pitts, even in the sixth round. Yeah, it's so the stat I was pulling was the team 
pass rate over expected with Ritter versus Mariota. And it didn't go up much, but it went up a little. It was 30, they were 31st in pass rate over expectation with Mariota. And then that moved up to 29th in the league. So still very, very run heavy with, with Ritter. Looking at uh, Pitts's, just the stats from his first two seasons, the catch rate jumps out to me. Uh, 61.8%. Uh, in 2021 as a rookie, 47.5% in 2022. It'd be interesting to dig into how many of his targets uh, were catchable uh, year to year over year. Cause he's going from, he's going from Matt Ryan, right. To Mariota slash Ritter. Uh, so that's part of it. His yards per reception went up, went down from 15.1 as a rookie to 12.7, which sort of would work against what you're saying, John, because as you said, his depth of target is so high. Uh, but maybe he's just, comp- well, no, those are, that's yards per reception. So these are on the catches, but the targets weren't that much different. Uh, 6.47, uh, targets as a rookie, 5.9 targets per game, uh, in his second season. So the, the addition of, of London didn't impact him super negatively, but his yardage got cut almost in half. So it's just hard to envision him returning value, uh, unless something is completely like fixed when it comes to how they're using him or and getting him some more catches uh, and some more layups, as you mentioned, John. I mean, this catch percentage, 47.5% is a super alarming. Um, and I don't think we we're going to have any data with him and Ritter together. So uh, tough situation as the tight end five off the board. And everyone likes to cite the 1,000-yard season, as you mentioned, but even for his career now, we're two seasons, 24 games in, he has just four top five finishes. He has not been a ceiling player whatsoever. Uh, not not to say it can't happen, but if you're asking me to bet on one, I'm still betting on Drake London. Maybe not at wide receiver 22, but I still would rather go Drake London over Pitts, especially where their draft capital is and how important it is in particular for three wide receiver leagues to fill that spot before that dead zone begins after round eight or nine. Uh, another offense you are higher on is the Detroit lions, Justin. So dive into that unit. Yeah. It's, they could be, if you really wanted to be contrarian or something, you could probably argue that this is the best offensive line in the league um, with, I mean, no, the Eagles are definitely the best offensive line in the league, but yes, they, they are they are old though, you know. So the Lions have that on their side. A ton of them are young, outside of Big V, who might not even be starting this year. But they're bringing everyone back, except for some, a couple of uh, like not even swing tackle guys, like bottom of the lineup guys. They got rid of a couple of them. Uh, they added a little depth than Graham Glasgow, but I don't think he's going to be playing either. Uh, they're what is it? Oh, they were, I think, the only team top six in both adjusted sack rate and adjusted line yards. Is that right? Oh, they're the only team that was top six in both in all of adjusted sack rate, adjusted line yards, and QB pressure allowed, which is pretty impressive. That means they're winning in all facets of the game. Um, they're really setting up uh, Jared Goff for success. It's, it's like we saw with him back in L.A. when he first broke out when we all thought he was terrible, and then he started to be good. Um, I think with the scheme and this offensive line, I really do like a lot of Detroit Lions skill position players. Um, I don't have a ton of golf, but he's going so late that you can just kind of grab him wherever you feel like it, especially if you can get him stacked up. Um, it's kind of a bummer that Jamison Williams is sidelined for so long, but I think they can probably do without. Uh, I think a lot of it kind of depends on Sam Laporta too, getting rid of TJ Hawkinson last year and then just having a rookie become TJ Hawkinson is kind of a stretch for me, but I, I don't know. He could be, we, we've seen it more often in recent years than we have in the past where rookie or second year tight ends can be super impressive right off the, right out of the gate. But yeah, how do you push- Lions. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. How do you, no, you're good. I was just about to transition that and ask you, Paulson, how do you foresee this backfield performing behind again, what Justin considers to be the third number three unit? Yeah, I have them in my rankings fourth. I mean, just right up there. Uh, they did, I think they took a, 
No, they didn't take a hit in free agency. It looks like they're in pretty good shape. They spent a net five hundred thousand on the position, so they're they're in good shape. They're going to kind of repeat, I think, what they did last year. Uh, Jameer Gibbs moved up my rankings a little bit off the positive report about how he's just an all around weapon. Um, you know, I I do wonder with this many mouths to feed if he's going to be primarily a pass catching back if you know once Jamison Williams is back and you've got Amon Ross St. Brown out there and now you got Laporta replacing whoever was Brock Wright or whoever was starting last year at uh, second half of the season um you know are there going to be enough but uh, you know they were going to take him at what six they said or whatever it was in the draft like this is the weirdest pick to me when they had Swift on the on the roster and doing this whole trade for basically a trade for for Jameer Gibbs and getting almost nothing for Swift and you know how much better is Gibbs than Swift we'll see uh but you know guys that go that early in the first round tend to get fed a lot of touches I don't think they're going to underutilize him like the one concern is that the goal line carries aren't going to be there for him it's going to be David Montgomery I think the question with Montgomery you know could he repeat uh Jamal Williams year or semi-repeat it. I mean, Williams led the league. I think uh, Evan Silva won the bet, 17 rushing touchdowns. Uh, probably going to regress a little bit there, but you could see Montgomery. Like, Would either of you be surprised if Montgomery has 12, 13 rushing touchdowns this year and maybe 800, 700, 800 yards rushing? I would be shocked. I would not be shocked. And I think both players are a value, given that Detroit was 13th and running back target rate as an offense last year. DeAndre slipped, of course, 8th in targets per game among all running backs for a team that hated him. But I want to bet on these rushing touchdowns going to Amon Ross St. Brown, like in the passing game, because Jamal Williams touchdowns from the one yard line last year were the most of any player since 2015. It's not expected to happen again. And they only happened. You have to get to the one yard line and they got to the one yard line because Amon Ross St. Brown was tackled inside the five-yard line seven different times. It had to be a historical record. Like, pro football reference doesn't keep track of this, but if they quantified shoestring tackles, it had to be an NFL record for the most time someone got tripped up at the most inopportune time on the football field. And so I actually just want to bet on Amon Ross St. Brown's production increasing in terms of touchdowns rather than thinking like they're going to get to the one-yard line that many times and then yet again hand it off to the guy. But given that they're missing basically every running back touch from last year. You already cited it. I have the most available touches and carries trackers on the site, free for everyone and running and Detroit leads the team in available running back percentage of touches from last year. I think both Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery can be values at their ADP. I think the, uh, the St. Brown stat you mentioned also is a, a reason that maybe golf's underrated, right? There's going to be more passing yes. touchdowns. And they play indoors. Yeah. Certainly helps. So, yeah, maybe just bet on the Lions offense overall. And finally, I'm going to try to ask you to be biased, Paulson, but Justin has the Packers offensive line ranked as his number two unit. So I think it's a sneaky one considering maybe drafters are not realizing that they're going into the season with one of your stronger ranked pass and run blocking protection scheme. So Justin, your thoughts on the Packers. Yeah, I, I did get a little pushback for this one and maybe I was a little optimistic. They've been dealing with just a multitude of injuries every single year and they're going in. They're just going in naked this year. They didn't add anything They're They have to be confident that Bakhtiari is just going to play. If he plays 14 games, and Elgin Jenkins plays 14 games, They, this is where they would be. They'd be the second-best offensive line in the NFL. I don't know if it's even possible that they get that get that high, but, you know, I maybe I was thinking of Paulson when I, when I stuck him at two. I think if they're all healthy, they're going to be an incredible offensive line. Um, it's going to give Jordan Love an opportunity to prove that he's even a league-average quarterback. We really don't know at this point if he's even a decent – football player so this is a good step in the right direction to have this offensive line I was a little I was a little surprised they didn't add anything with all of their history of injuries for a multitude of their positions but if they have faith in it maybe I should have faith in it too so they're up here they have the talent they just don't have the injury history to be healthy the whole season so they'll need a little luck on their side I think 
to stay up here. I honestly don't have any thoughts on AJ Dillon, Paulson. Like that's the one player I think I'm the most blah about uh, in either direction. So how are you shaking out this running back situation? Uh, I'm glad you asked about the Packers. That was one unit I was hoping we would talk about. Uh, I have two. I have two other I'd like to mention after, if it's okay, if I can keep you guys a few minutes later, because I'd love to get Justin's thoughts on it. Uh, but the Packers, yes, they're my number one in my quick and dirty rankings. Just for <laughs> stats, they nice. were second in adjusted line yards. Uh, they were sixth in adjusted sack rate. They were third in PFF uh, pass blocking efficiency. And they just are constantly dealing with injuries and people in and out of the lineup. They must have the best. I don't know who it is, but they must have the best offensive line coach uh, in the league. Uh, give him a raise. Hope it's hopefully it's the same guy as last year. Uh, this is a you know you mentioned it, uh, Justin. Like this is, and I would say that Jordan Love is set up for success from an offensive line standpoint. I don't think that he's set up for, for success from a receiving standpoint, given that they have the youngest. Uh, receiving core in the league, the least paid, the lowest paid receiving core in the league. I mean, this is oh, going to, wow. they're going to, they're definitely going to have some serious growing pains, I think, as, but at least he'll have a clean pocket for the most part. And then the other thing I would really take away from this, and I'll get it to the, you know, you get into the running game, you know, Aaron Jones is going in like the fifth round. This is a travesty, in my opinion. He's such a good player. He's running behind one of the best offensive lines. They're more likely to run the ball more this year and feed him more he's a great pass catcher as well and i think the take on aj dillon is that everybody is every year we're like well he's pretty talented and he's the backup uh if there's an injury like a long-term injury to aaron jones then aj dillon's is likely to be a top 10 top 12 running back i know basically a week weekly basis because i think he's gonna see 20 touches a game in that scenario. So that's the take on it. It's that he's just kind of hasn't paid off yet, but he's a zero RB target that could pay off if Jones, uh, you know, has a serious injury. And my only concern with Aaron Jones is that it's literally boiled down to touchdowns. That's where his output comes from. And I have him in the same tier as Josh Jacobs, right? As someone who can, perhaps outscore those types of players. But the last 12 seasons, Aaron Jones has been an RB1, top 12 finish, whenever he scored a touchdown in 10 of 11 games. But the other 21 games where he didn't score a touchdown, he didn't have any higher than an RB16 finish. So it's basically just been, if he scores a touchdown, you get your guy, top 12 guy. Otherwise, it's just a low-end RB2 with the rest of these guys. So I don't know. It just seems very volatile that maybe the touches don't even matter. And well, he's you know he's being drafted, uh, and I, you, yeah, fifth round. I've been watching it. You know, fifth round RB seventeen. So, like, he's being drafted at his floor or near his floor. I mean, I guess if you're saying he's top, you know, in the twenty to twenty four range when he doesn't score a touchdown, then yeah, I guess that he's you know you're you're a little disappointed with that. But you know, if you're expecting middle of the road RB two numbers when he doesn't score a touchdown, then he's being drafted at his floor. If that makes sense. Would you take Aaron Jones over Travis Etienne? Yeah. Okay. I think they I actually think throw the ball to Aaron Jones. Yeah. They they do do that. I do agree with you. Uh, I think that's the range too where everyone should be looking at. And you said you wanted to float a couple other underrated lines to Justin. Yeah. Uh, you know, as regular readers know, I do a uh, article every year, which I think I'm not sure anybody else does it, but it combines all the free agent signings and departures and it's uh basically comes up with a net number of dollars being spent or lost on the no one else does it. It, yeah I'll okay look. so it's called which teams it. invested yeah nobody else wants to do a pivot, pivot table i guess uh which teams invested in the offensive line in 2023 and there's a couple to you know a couple of units here that popped out and i wanted to get justin's thoughts on it and your, your thoughts as well uh the number one team um 23.58 million it was the most in the five years that I've tracked this, the most spent uh, by any unit in an offseason. It's the Denver Broncos. And they didn't draft anybody. Uh, so that, you know, would would help if there was a first round draft pick in there. Uh, but they signed uh, tackle Mike McGlinchey, uh, Ben Powers, and they have different strengths. One's better in the run blocking, ones are better in the pass blocking. I think I forget which way I put this. Uh, oh yeah. Run is first. So 
McGlinchey's better run blocker. Powers is a better pass blocker. So in theory, uh, both units or, you know, both set of, uh, you know, pass blocking and run blocking should both improve. Uh, but that's a lot of money to be spent on a couple of play. The more, majority of the dollars were on those two guys. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm looking at the Broncos as a team that should really improve. We've got a new offensive line. We have a quarterback who we know was good as, you know, recently as two years ago. Uh, and we have now Sean Payton at, co- at, at head coach, and he should really turn around this offense. What do you guys think about the Broncos as this, you know, big turnaround in terms of their points scored yards gained? I think it's interesting. It's definitely possible. Um, I think both of those guys, probably especially McGlinchey, are both overpays. Uh, they're both good. Like McGlinchey's been good, not great for a long time. Uh, he was pretty poor as a rookie and maybe even a sophomore, if I remember correctly. And Powers did just have a very good year, but it was his first good year even as a professional. I think Peyton maybe came in and just said, F this. Maybe he just said, I'm just going to do everything I can to set up Russell Wilson for success. And that way, if he fails, no one will know. Or like no one will complain when we just get rid of him. So it's probably an overpay. Maybe it's something they felt like they needed to do. The the team is definitely a has a better offensive line unit according to my methodology than they did last year. But they're still not like a top tier unit in my opinion, even with those signings. So it's interesting if they had the cap to do it, then why not? Nothing wrong with that. But we've seen a lot of off season winners. Like I feel like the Giants were like this for a few years in a row, and they would just win the off season and then win eight games or something like that. So it's not unprecedented to spend a lot of money just to be mediocre. Uh, you mentioned a couple stats. Also, in terms of ESPN's run block win rate, since the idea was to help Russell Wilson out, uh, Mike McGlinchey fifth in that metric, Ben Powers second and Chris Banhurst, 19th among all tight ends. So I would imagine that Sean Payton showed up and just had an identity and had an idea that he wanted to build from the inside out, thus helping Russell Wilson, who I have in the same tier as Geno Smith, Kirk Cousins, and Daniel Jones, because no one can prove that those guys just aren't the same in fantasy football. Uh, What other offense did you want to mention, Paulson? Yeah, I want to actually mention two, but we don't have to talk about the Bengals, but they were second in... uh free agency money spent after leading the same metric the previous season. So they've really invested in the offensive line the last two years. It paid off a lot in the pass blocking last year. It uh, didn't really pay off a whole lot in terms of their run blocking, according to the metrics, but uh, we'll see if this year, if it does. And the other one I wanted to mention, it just looks like, you know, it, this might be a Najee Harris type like argument is that the Steelers were already top 12, uh, in adjusted line yards and adjusted sack rate last year. And they spent a net 10.7 million uh, on on the unit. And they used a first uh, a, a pick. Uh, was it a first round pick? Yeah. Was first round uh, pick. Tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also got a, if I'm remember, remembering correctly, a really good run blocking tight end. Darnell Washington. Like it yeah. just, yeah, it really seems like they are set on improving Najee Harris or just improving the running game in general in terms of the efficiency. And this might be a case for everybody hates drafting Najee Harris because he averages four yards a carry or less. And is just a volume guy, but you know, follow the touches. And now you're looking at an offensive line that should be even better. And then they were already really good. Yeah. It's going. I, go, ahead, sure. yeah, go ahead. I, I'm just agreeing. They're definitely going to be, a. they had a, a couple of years off, which was always surprising to see from the, a Steelers trench line that wasn't incredible. And then, yeah, going into this season, they do look very strong, in, as you said, particularly in the run-blocking sector. It does come down to touches for Najee Harris since he's one of the least explosive running backs in the NFL. Like, he has 1,217 carries since he graduated high school, so we're including his career at Alabama, and his first two years in the league, and only 30 have gone for 20-plus yards, 2.4%. Like, he genuinely depends solely on touches, and although his share of backfield touches decreased last year after the bye, 76% with a foot injury before the bye, 70% after the bye, what they did was hide Kenny Pickett and just give more backfield touches to everyone. And that's why Najee Harris is 
touch share or overall touches increased to 21 per game up from 16 and a half before the buy. So as long as we're getting the touches, as long as we're still getting 21 per game, yes, that's definitely how Najee Harris gets there in his range. Yeah. I, yeah. I wonder, I look at his stats, 3.8 yards per carry last year, 3.9 as a, as a rookie. I think that underscores your point, John, but maybe, maybe with this better, you know, run blocking, we get to 4.1, 4.2 and that could, you know, that'll help his bottom line. Justin, any other thoughts before we get out of here? And where can people find the rest of your work? Um, I want to say I'm a little concerned about Zach Martin possibly holding out for the Cowboys yes. offensive line. And all my other work is on four for four. I'll be doing offensive line stuff weekly once the season starts. And before the next month or two, there's all sorts of stuff that will have my name on the byline. Martin's. Potential holdout, as you mentioned, something to watch for training camp, especially as the Cowboys continue to not bring in any other running backs for visits behind Tony Pollard right now. Paulson, what else do you have for everyone going on at the site? Writing my uh, player blurbs. Uh, please follow me. I'm begging for follows on my Instagram at 444 underscore John. Uh, I'm <laughs> like also you're begging. You're grifting for, out here. <laughs> I'm begging for followers. I've been really complacent with my Twitter following, and I'm looking at Twitter and wondering if we're on a slow death spiral there. Please follow me on threads at 444 underscore John. <laughs> I'm trying to get to 1,000 on both sites. Uh, I would love to hit 1,000. I think I might throw a party if I do. Um, so, that's where I'm posting some of my longer form blurbs uh, for for subscriber or for non-subscribers. They can read and see what kind of work we do or what kind of work I do. Uh, all, almost all the top players will have a player blur by by the end of next week, and this is basically my draft note for that player and what I think of them, and kind of explaining why I have them ranked where I, where they're ranked, and so that people don't ask me a thousand times why Najee Harris is where he is. We'll be back with a mock draft to kick off fantasy football season and players finally reporting back to training camps next week same time until then you know what to do be a little bit kinder once or twice we'll see you then